We are back, and we will also be taking your questions here on Coast to Coast AM. Talk to Frank Fraschino for yourself and ask him some questions about the Flatwoods Monster and the Summer of the Saucers. Again, you can find him at flatwoodsmonster.com, flatwoodsmonster.com, and he's got a couple books out. I want to get the exact names here, the Braxton County Monster, and also shoot them down, the Flying Saucer Air Wars of 1952, flatwoodsmonster.com. Okay, um, Frank, before we go to the phone calls, I, I want a couple questions. Uh, when we go back to the Flatwoods Monster, now, your impression, is it a machine? Is it an entity within the machine? Is it, I mean, or is it, you know, is it... What I believe from talking to the witnesses, and especially Freddie May and Kathleen, it was mechanical. And the thing had reacted to them, and uh, Freddie believed that there was something inside of it, and so did Kathleen. But what really hammered that point home was a little-known story that took on the following night, and it involved a fellow called George Snotowski. And he lived in New York, and he had went to Ohio with his wife, and they were driving back through Braxton County on the way to go home. And they took a scenic route going through the mountains. Well, they were going through Frametown. It was about 24 hours after the incident. And the story hadn't broke yet, okay? It didn't uh, break until Monday. Flatwoods was Friday night, and this was Saturday night. So nothing was in the press yet. All that was reported the day after the Flatwoods thing was all of these meteors, UFO saucers, and things flying all across up and down the eastern seaboard. Flatwoods hadn't hit into its uh, its original uh, printing. So what happened is this Natowski is driving with his wife. They had an 18 month old son, and their car stalled out in the middle of nowhere's in Frametown. And this is in the area of James Knoll, where the thing was seen crashing and where I had pinpointed and plotted its path going through Braxton County after Mrs. May and the kids saw it touched down in Frametown. And George had uh, got out of the car and he, you know, he thought the battery was dead. He lifts up the hood. And long story short, because we could do a three-hour show on this, Connie, Yep. He started walking out in the distance, and he smelled this terrible sulfur smell, and it was like burning, like a chemical. He thought a nearby chemical plant was on fire. There was like this smoky stuff through the air, just like what happened the night before. He started walking out in the distance, and he saw this big UFO hovering that was, he said it looked like it was a, a phosphorus, like a luminescent uh, oval-shaped craft sitting way out in the woods, and he started walking to it. He uh, started getting these uh, electrical shocks and pricklings going to his body, and he started smelling this sulfur smell like me and the kids did. And he started pushing out a little further. He's walking along the edge of the road, and now he's towards getting towards the woods. And his wife is back in the car with the baby, and this whole area is getting engulfed with smoke just like the, the Flatwoods Path up on the farm. His wife starts screaming, 
George had got a good gulp of this stuff, and he started vomiting and fell down to his knee. And when he got up and turned around, his wife is screaming, George, look behind you, watch out, you know, stuff that had effect. And she's going hysterical, like when uh, Fay Ray saw King Kong for the first time. This is like a terrible scene, Connie. He turns around, and he sees this thing nine feet tall hovering towards him. Along, it had come out from the woods, and now it's running by the side of the road. And this thing had the, the pipes. The lower half of it was flared out. The, the emissions were coming out of the bottom, except the upper half of it didn't have the suit that was seen the night before. The helmet and the outer helmet, the big black cowl, ace of spade shape, was gone. The area from the shoulders where the antenna were down to the waist were gone, and it was this gigantic blackish-colored reptilian snake from the waist up. So actually what they saw, uh, what I interpreted this whole thing, they saw the Flatwoods monster with the spacesuit removed. This thing floated towards him, and like the same thing, Mrs. May told me it floated a foot to a foot and a half off the ground, and that's what this thing was doing. It was floating, and it was hovering towards the sky. It was a hovercraft machine. It was like a small space uh, suit or rocket hovering towards George. He flips out, runs back to the car, jumps inside. He took his wife. And uh, they had pulled the baby from the back seat. Back then, they didn't have uh, baby seats. They had a little crib that was fastened onto the back on a bench seat. They grabbed the baby. She held the baby. He pushed them down underneath the dashboard on the passenger side, and the baby's choking, the wife's screaming, going hysterical. And this damn thing hovered up to their car went around it and is looking inside of him. Now, you can imagine this thing, Connie. He said uh, to me it was a good nine feet tall. And I talked to him on the phone years ago after I read an article that was written in 1955. Now, this story didn't go public until 55 when Snotowski did an interview with Paul Lieb, L-I-E-B. And that's how I found out about it. And then when I spoke to George on the phone, he told me that what you read in that article was true. He gave me a little description of what the thing looked like. It was like a dark blackish color, and it was almost snake-like. And the arms were long and quote-unquote spindly arms. And as they came down to the end, there really wasn't a hand there were uh, just two big forked fingers. And this thing hovered around the car, and George was hysterical too, but he's protecting his wife. He had also grabbed out of a glove box, he grabbed uh, a hunting knife. You know, instinct, you protect your wife and child. I don't know. Good luck with that. Yeah. (laughs) He was waiting for this thing to leave, and probably the scariest. Part of this whole encounter is when he was down there for a couple minutes and this thing's hovering around checking the car out, it leaned down and it touched the hood of the car and it actually burnt the paint of it. And he lifted his head up to see if it was gone, Connie, and 
this thing's looking back down at him. Uh. That's when he about had a stroke. Can you imagine <laughs> looking up? And it was about nine feet tall, and it gazed back down into him. It touched the hood, and it burnt like a fork imprint on it. Oh. And the thing backed off, and it hovered away, and it disappeared. And he watched it go back into the woods. And a few minutes later, he saw this craft start moving out of the woods, and it went in a pendulum motion, and it shot off like a bat out of hell and went into the sky. And after that, they all got themselves together. They gathered themselves up. And when he tried starting the car again after the craft was gone, it started right up. Interesting. Sounds like uh, so many other encounters. But this one, I mean, sounded, I mean, they described everything as, as the people the night before. So interestingly enough, the top part being gone. And, you know, I love seeing your illustration of, you know, exactly what you described. Do you think now, you know, um, it's just amazing that. I mean, they are using a technology where oil leaks out of it, where it's had like maybe a problem or maybe it's not a problem. Maybe that's just what comes out of that machine. But it's it's interesting because it's more machine-like. It's more human-like, uh, you know, coming with machines. You, you don't you just don't think that there's going to well, be what's smoke. What's interesting, and- Connie, is uh, one of the other landing sites that was in Braxton County when Ivan Sanderson was up there. Yeah, And there's basically a whole chapter in my book about this. He uh, found some stuff, some uh, remnants near a crash site. One of the objects had come in. It was another object that when it landed, it hit the top of the trees, broke the trees, and burnt some of it. And when the thing touched down, when he went looking around that area, he found this uh, stuff that was like, uh, which he likened it to like snake skin. Oh, That's when the bells and whistles went off, and there's a whole chapter in the book on it, and it uncoiled in water. And, um, from that point, um, all the people that I that I've been working with over the years, I had a hell of a team working with me, and we're like, okay, one of my military guys I work with was in the army. And he says, well, the first thing that you do is you want to get away from your craft because the military is going to be looking for you. So you get the hell out of there and you go into the woods. What I think had happened is this was a search and rescue mission. And the monster, after it landed, Uh it was seen the following night. So it was actually on Earth in Braxton County for 24 hours and it got picked up. George Natowski was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and he was right in the middle of this thing when it was uh, picked up. Okay. But, uh, one of the fellows I was talking with, he said, you know what, Frank? He says, this thing was some type of rep- reptilian thing. You throw snake into the mix of it. He said, why would you be in the middle of West Virginia in the thick of those mountains and woods if you had that craft? Why would you draw attention to yourself with a four-foot-wide, gigantic craft where it's blowing uh, emissions out? You could see it. Why wouldn't you jump out of that craft and just walk around on foot? And I'm like, where are you going with this? He says, you can't swing a cat in West Virginia in those woods without hitting a tree or something. 
And I said, <laughs> right, but where are you going with this? What does this mean? He says, I think, and I was thinking that the same thing, but I never really talked about it, Connie, to tell you the truth. That that thing was coiled up inside there, and it was a giant oh. snake. Oh. That's why if you see a snake oh. that's coiled up, it flares out towards the bottom. And oh. I went, holy cow, that makes sense. Oh. And this guy was in Vietnam, and he said, when you're in the jungle, you do not want to be hovering around in a spacecraft drawing the enemy in towards you. They could see you a mile away. They could smell you. They could see you. And it's hard to maneuver around the woods. They, he, what he said, and what my conclusion was, is that it had no legs. And the reason it was hovering around in that suit is because it had a tail. And it was one big, gigantic snake. Oh, now I've really got a visual. flared out. <laughs> Oh, and I have illustrations on my website and all over the place with that. Yeah, well, that's great. What's cool too, Connie, is a few years ago, I got an email wow. and a phone number from a guy who lived down the street at the time. And this isn't in the book. There's some of it posted on the Internet. This guy contacted me up. He had got my book as a present over the holidays. And long story short, he saw my book jacket cover, and he saw my illustrations on the inside. He saw this thing a few miles down the street at 3 a.m., a few hours, about seven hours after Mrs. May, oh. and the kids saw it. And he was a little kid, and he was awakened, and it was an area called Strange Creek, right off the Elk River, where all of this stuff went on later that day. And what he described to me was the same thing, except he saw the machine with only the helmet and inner helmet off. When it was seen the night before with Mrs. May and the kids, it was in full gear. Right, right. He saw it from the waist. I mean, not from the waist down, just from, like, the shoulders down. When Satowski saw it with his wife, they saw it from the waist down. Oh, And he okay. went into explicit detail. Yeah. And he ended up, he uh, was involved in, uh, he was an electrician and worked in electrical uh, field. And he told me this thing had an aura around it. And it was actually like a silverish gunmetal gray. And he was awakened uh, about 3 o'clock in the morning, and he lived on the second floor. That's where his room was, overlooking the back porch. And he lived way off of the, the Elk River and uh, the main road there. And he saw this thing coming up towards his house and almost had a heart attack as a little kid. And he says, I told my parents about it. I woke him up in the middle of the night, and they says, ah, you're dreaming. You had a nightmare. Well, when he read my book and he saw everything, he's like, this makes sense. I saw the same damn thing, except it had the torso portion on and the upper helmet was off with the inner helmet. So it looks like this thing was taking pieces and parts off, Connie, as it was moving around through that full day. Yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, and definitely the hover part of it is, you know, to move around. So what a what a great theory of the fact that it might yeah, be. So now that is like the third major sighting. 
Oh, and I well, actually know where he lives, but he didn't want to go into it and uh, go public with his name. He says, I don't uh, know what happened to me, what happened to the maze. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can understand but that. But actually, okay. when I was talking to him, a lot of these people are very guarded with the information, and I want to know of, you know, how much I know about it. So I told him I'm familiar with that area, and he did, and some of the other witnesses did. They want to know how well I know the area. Hold that thought. Hold that thought. We'll come back. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing now as well that this is, you know, in '52 with the summer of saucers. This is just one of the things that happened in '52. All right, more to come. Stay with us and your phone calls on Coast to Coast AM. Coast to Coast AM. Connie Willis here. It is a great night. We are celebrating the haunting weekend that we've got going on all the way up through to Halloween coming up on a Tuesday. So that means you get to really have a good time uh, with doing the zombie walks and all the other different things and going out to the pumpkin patches. All that. So much fun. And apple season, too, by the way. Good apple season. However, I picked up some apple cider the other day. It was not sweet at all. That was like, oh, my gosh, this is, uh, this is not what I thought it was going to be. Anyway, that stuff happens, right? We're talking to Frank Vachino, Jr. He's talking about the Flatwoods Monster and everything that goes around it. We've got people on the phone, so we got to try to hit there. But before we do that, Frank, I want to make sure uh, we, we definitely got to hit the phones because we've been promising that. There's people that want to ask you some questions. So let's hope we can get it in. This is our last segment. But so basically, um, the summer of, of the saucers with 1952, how they relate the Flatwood monster along with the other ones that were up in the sky and getting shot down, you know, or shooting at them like when they said, shoot them down. It's really the fact that, hey, this is just another one of the stories that was happening in 1952. Well, I'm going to give a a quick two-minute wrap-up so we don't leave everybody uh, up in the air. Okay, excellent, excellent. Here's the bottom line to the whole story, Connie. I had 116 locations where I had pinpointed uh, UFO sightings. I got uh, several of them from newspaper reports, a good chunk of them from Project Blue Book. I put these things out. My house looked like a museum. I did paintings of these crafts. I had uh, my master map with all the plotted points. I worked with a couple Air Force guys, and one particular stood back, and he looked at the map, and he says, Frank, do you know what you have here? And I says, yeah, I have an idea. And he picked up a gigantic ruler I had for my drafting board, and he started connecting dots, and then I started looking at them, and the whole picture fell together. What had happened, Connie, is... There were three damaged UFOs that flew over the mid-Atlantic eastern seaboard on different flight paths. We have the flight path of one that flew southwest. It went across the United States and land, and it flew towards Wright-Patterson, not Wright-Patterson, Oak Ridge National Laboratory. The second one flew northwest towards Wright-Patterson, so now these things are flying in within a couple minutes of each other. One's heading down towards ORNL. The other one's heading up towards Wright-Patterson on a B-line, and the third one came down to split the middle, and it went over Washington, D.C. When this thing passed over without getting intercepted over the Capitol because it flew through the restricted zone, the one that was flying towards Oak Ridge National Laboratory, it actually threw, flew through the no-fly zone. Uh, 
that thing landed and turned away when the second one that was going towards right path on its trajectory, and if you extend the lines out from where it had stopped, it was making a dead beeline for the Air Force Base. When the Flatwood ship passed over Washington without being intercepted, that one turned, and it went in the opposite direction, nearly collided with a passenger plane, turned around and landed in the wheeling area. The other one landed, turned away. These three damaged objects were making puddle jumps throughout the United States. Of all of these different sightings, Connie, I broke them down, and I was able to figure out how many different landings there were and what was going on that night. The main one was the flame over Washington. That was the primary one. That was the Flatwoods monster craft. And uh, once I broke it down, I had figured out that all of these reports, there were um, 116 locations, okay? West Virginia had the most with 38. There were four damaged UFOs, and there were 13 crash landings, Connie. Two of them occurred in Tennessee, five crashed. Uh, was the number two Baltimore object. I had to give these things designated numbers. The Washington, D.C. craft crashed twice, and there was a North Carolina object that flew up from the south. That is when we were connecting the dots. It went down to Florida, and that's where we have the missing jet, with John Anderson Jones, Jr. and John Del Curto, the co-pilot. That's the jet that vanished into thin air that the Air Force had no reports of whatsoever. And there's a couple chapters about that we can go into. We could do a whole show on that. But anyways, besides We that, could talk for weeks and weeks and yeah. months. But there, <laughs> on top of the 13 crash landings I have documented, and you could see it on my master map. It's all over the Internet. It's on my Facebook, which is Flatwoods Monster 1952. There were eight other landing sites, Connie, in West Virginia, Ohio, and Pennsylvania. What happened is there was actually another so-called monster that was seen in the Wheeling area. So we have two different areas, and that's a whole other show in itself. So we have these things going down all over the United States. When me and my boys connected these dots and went towards the East Coast— and a triangulation from the west coast to the east, they all these points intersected 90 miles off the coast. And that is the point where the origin is. One of the guys I had worked with, I didn't understand what that meant. And he says, Frank, you're, you're looking uh, too, too flat, one-dimensional. He took my map down off the wall and he laid it on the floor, Connie. He said, give me three coins, and he held three coins up over the map, which is laying down on the floor, and he dropped them one, two, three, and they all landed at that point. I said, what does this mean? He says, my hand is the mothership. He said, they were dropping down off the mothership one ah. at a time, and when they mm. hit that intersect point, they were hit by fighter jets, and back then... Three of our jets had uh, rockets on them, besides missiles. That was all, They were computerized uh, rocket-bearing uh, aircraft. They were Navy and Air Force. 
And at that point is where we believe they were hit. They were hit by rockets. They were barraged. The eastern seaboard bases sent these out because it was in the ADIZ for the Atlantic, the no-fly zone, their defense identification zone. They got hit, and they came inland, and they, these things didn't just happen to be flying towards Oak Ridge National Laboratory right at Patterson Air Force Base in Washington. And this whole thing, bottom line, was written off as the Air Force. They said the West Virginia monster, so-called, actually the object was the well-known Washington-area meteor 12 September landing near Flatwoods. 21 hours of sightings blamed on one meteor seen for five to six seconds, Connie. And people listen and blow it off. Thank well, goodness what happened, you Connie, are still there the to keep talking about then, it. You have like a dozen states where UFOs were seen, 10 along the eastern seaboard. They didn't know what was going on. One little mm-hmm. site in some podunk town here in North Carolina, and then here, 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 and there. They didn't know what was going on, and the newspapers were writing them off as meteors. Mm-hmm. And ah. when you connect 116 locations and start putting the dots, and you get military people working with you, they're the ones that really help pull this whole thing together. And one guy even said to me, he says, wow, Frank, he said their strategy is uh, – like ours, or ours is like theirs, <laughs> because they actually went into Flatwoods looking for this thing, and what the original investigators couldn't figure out, there were so many different shaped crafts flying around Flatwoods in Braxton County, the original investigators couldn't figure out why. These people were seeing them at close range. They uh, There was a rendezvous in Flatwoods between two of the damaged crafts. They tried putting them down in the same area, and they missed the rendezvous. And that's why these people are reporting one was a cigar-shaped object, one was the egg-shaped one, then there was a round one. And they couldn't pinpoint that, well, I backtracked and I found all of these descriptions of these same objects in Project Blue Book, and the sightings were over the Washington area. What they did, Connie, is they came inland and they went searching for these things. That's why there were so many sightings in all these different states. They were trying to track where they were. When they got into the mountains, that's where everything got botched up. They lost track of them, and that's when the Flatwoods Monster, was, which was the most damaged object. And all the objects, Connie, they were making controlled maneuvers. They had pieces flying off of them. They were in flames, chunks. They were exploding, making weird noises. They were crash landing, lifting up, taking off again. In Tennessee, they actually sent out a crash uh, search and rescue team with an ambulance. And the thing had taken off. The crap was shooting flares off in the air. So there's a lot that went into this book, Connie. <laughs> a whole, and it's all in a detail. Whole My bibliography is longer than any other book it, or story ever written about Flatwoods. It, it never ends, <laughs> and it continues, everybody. Let's oh, see if we yeah. can get one call in here. Uh, first-time caller, David, out of Burbank, California. Welcome. You are on the air. Hey, Connie, thank you very much for taking my call. Can you hear me? Absolutely. Yes. Thanks, David. So, listen, I've been I've been a fan of Art Bell, George Norrie. I like you. You're a great uh, host for the weekends, and hopefully George continues you as a host. But I listen to so many of these individuals that call into your show. I'm listening to, I guess, I think his name is Frank. He sounds like a very credible individual, but I, I'm, I'm, I'm a big fan of science and scientific fact. 
And if you look up the word scientific fact, it says an observation that has been confirmed repeatedly and is accepted as true. And then in parentheses, it says, although truth is never final. So I listen to people calling to your show and George Norrie's show. Everything just seems to be suggestive. So is it just like well when you when you're talking you're talking about witnesses telling a story though right i mean they're not scientists with a measuring stick you're talking about witnesses giving their story is that what you're talking about is not too not not enough scientific well, something that they believe or that they know but there's no scientific fact to you know put that staple or that stamp of what they're saying well if you see me walk across the street what's the stamp that you see me walk across the street I would say that I saw Connie Willis, the great Connie Willis, walking across the street. <laughs> and I say thank you very much. And he's telling this great story, but he can't back it up with scientific facts. Oh, well, I wouldn't say that. Go ahead there, Frank. Take as much time. Well, don't take well, too much well, time. Well, the Air Force blamed it on, uh, on a meteor, and I contacted uh, – Different places around the world, and I found out that there were. If you, and if you got about find, a minute, Frank, my website. There was no recorded meteor uh, sightings in the world on September twelfth, fifty-two. Only in one place, Flatwoods, and that was by the Air Force, and nothing and, ever landed there. Because you as well would know, if a meteor landed in Flatwoods, it would have been called Flattened Woods. But That's true. I, now, I, I have all the information in my book if you want to read it, where I went the Harvard Meteor Project and so on and so forth, Smithsonian. There were no meteors on September 12th, yet there's 21 hours of sustained sightings over the United States. They got, if anybody um, can find out any more information about this uh, phantom meteor, just contact me on my website. <laughs> the other thing, too, though, that we didn't get into because, I mean, the story just continues. You just have so much information. You've got letters and handwritten letters and signed stuff. There's no way we could touch the surface of the information he has. So definitely go get his information. Well, you know, years his book ago, to read I, it. Did, uh, but, 15, but, I think it was a 15-hour show. But I did a week straight of three-hour interviews every night. <laughs> you'll you'll do that on Blue Rock Talk as well yeah, in my okay, podcast. You'll good. do that too. It'll be great. So, but also too, like even with the tree, you went back later where that tree was. You just didn't. You discussed the story because I'm like, give me the story. You didn't get into what he's looking for. And David, I totally respect you on that. I get it. A lot of this stuff, though witnesses you know the last thing you're doing is oh let me go get that oil that fell out or this or that but you went back later frank and there were things on that tree that had proof that there was uh, burn marks or radiation or something as well i mean you well, went back and disintegrated connie the picture of me online that was taken in the 90s oh i remember I that picture that tree over the years connie and i have documentation from the tree when it was full size back in the 50s then okay. I have photographs of Gray Barker and Sanderson from the museum from the okay. 60s, 70s, days all the way up. And it's just a pile of uh, sawdust now. Well, you that tree has um, just basically disintegrated in pieces over the years. Back, back me up, yes or no. David can check out your books and he can read more of the what you have as what he's looking for scientifically. Because okay. I know you did that. Hey, yeah, it's all we got to. Okay, so we got to run, Frank. Thanks so much, okay? Happy Thank Halloween. You. Happy Willis Wayne. We'll talk to you. We'll have him on my show, too, in the future. All right, you guys, thanks so much. Great night with uh, Mr. Sam Sheeran before Frank Ficino, Jr. And, hey, thank you guys for being here and being a part of Willis Wayne with me. I totally appreciate it. Hey, um, right in.
If you enjoyed the show, let us know what you think. From the foothills of the Colorado Rockies, I want to thank all the people that put this show together. We got a lot. Julie Talbot, Bill May, Lisa Lyon, Tommy Danheiser, Dan Galani, Stephanie Smith, Mike Cosio, Lex Lonehood, Sean Lidasur, Tim Banal, Gina Salvati, Donna Walker, Chris Burroughs, Ian Punnett, Lisa Gar, Richard Searett, George Snap, and of course, George Norrie. Thank you so much, the Coast to Coast AM team. Ah, oh, enjoy your holiday. And uh, next time I talk to you, we'll be in a whole new holiday season. So until we meet again, I'm Connie Willis at ConnieWillis.com. Keep watching the night skies and continue with me to seek out the strange and uncover the unknown. For Ghost to Ghost AM, I'm Connie Willis. Good night.